Jeff Foxworthy is known as the uh, redneck comedian. He has a piece that was very popular for a number of years entitled, You Know You're Not a Kid When? And I'll share a few of those with you. You know you're not a kid when you quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who comes into the room. You know you're not a kid when you enjoy watching the news or when people ask what color your hair used to be. You know you're not a kid when you're proud of your new lawnmower or when you own your clothes so long they come back in style twice. You know you're not a kid when you no longer think of speaking as a challenge. You know you're not a kid when you don't like to drive in the dark. Or when you say those words, turn that music down. You know you're not a kid when you wear black socks and sandals. No, you're not a kid when you point out where buildings are secure. Then I got one more that I would add to his list. You know you're not a kid when you provide this people legacy begins that But the fact of the matter is, we are all getting older. And for many of us, it is a time to look forward to a time to slow down. To relax, to maybe retire from a job, to enjoy doing some things that we uh, have not been able to do because we spent our lives planning and working and investing and saving for a day. We can enjoy those retirement years. Such folks are often looking forward to that time of leisure. But what about the concept of retirement? When, when do we do that? Well, our text tonight is Psalm 92, where the psalmist said, The righteous shall flourish, flourish like a palm tree and shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God, and they shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. So tonight we want to talk about this theme that I've chosen, Honoring Senior Saints they still bear fruit in old age. I want to thank you all so much for the invitation to come and to be with you, and I appreciate the elders' confidence in me and to be with Ricky and Jordan again, and yes, Jordan, to be with fellow Hoosiers, that's always a, always a good thing, and uh, it's just a pleasure to be with you all. I want to thank uh, those that have come tonight from other congregations. We have a number here from West Maine where we preached a few years ago, and it's great to have those folks with us, and I appreciate their support, and they, in fact, they've come to be with us. And then I think about others that we have relationships with, and it seems like everywhere we go, we run into people that we've either known in the past, maybe many years ago, they know people that we know, or they know our son or daughter from Florida College days, and so we have all of that here. So I wish we had just time. I'd start with Count Billy Mann, because we go back a long ways and say something good about him. It's about Count for sure. Just kidding, Billy. Just kidding. Where are you? But uh, we go back a long ways, and it's good to be here and be with him as, as well as all of the rest of you. And I wanted to take just a moment and thank you all. I can't remember all the names now, but I got so many notes from people in the past couple weeks. Uh, emails and text messages and even some handwritten notes some people's snail mail notes and I guess I'm wondering who this is from you know open it up and someone from this congregation that was letting us know how much they were looking for this coming and I just want you to know that meant a lot it encouraged me and lifted me and made me look forward even more to coming and being with you all so thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity for us to be together this weekend and to be able to share these thoughts. Basically, there's three things I want to do in this lesson tonight. One is to talk about God's use of older people. Secondly, is to talk about how as older people we can bear fruit. And then thirdly, what we need to do in order to be able to bear fruit. The first thing is to think a little bit from God's word about how that older people can be used. 
there's a lot of examples in the Bible, but let's just notice a few. One, we think about Moses and Aaron. And most of you know the story of Moses. I'm sure even the young people here, and you've studied that from the little classes on up, and about how that he was uh, saved as he was put into the Nile River by his mother, was raised the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and for 40 years was the prince of Egypt, and then went into exile and was a shepherd for 40 years, and then God called him back to Mount Sinai to lead his people out of the land of Egypt and to lead them to the promised land. And you don't have to be a great mathematician to figure out that 40 and 40 is 80. And that Moses was 80 years old when he led the people out of Egypt. And so that would make Aaron, if my math was right from the Bible, about 83. And so you think about that, 80 and 83 years old, and they were given this task to do this incredible thing, that they will lead the children of God from Egypt to the promised land. Later, in Psalm 90, verse 10, Moses said that the normal lifespan would be 70 years if you had good health, maybe 80 years. Max shared with us last night the average age uh, lifespan right now. I think he says 78 years old in America. And so you're right at it, Max. I got a long ways to go. <clears throat> a little ways to go. A little ways to go. Then you think about that, that, uh, boy, it seems like for you young people over here, does 70 or 80 seem like an eternity away? I mean, when I was your age, I couldn't even picture that. In fact, I didn't know if I'd even be able to walk anymore when I got that old or do something. But, Lord willing, uh, you'll, you'll reach that point yourself one day, maybe even much older. So God was able to use them at this age to be able to accomplish this great task. And then I think of Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua had to be close to 80 when Moses turned over the mantle of leadership to him. And you remember Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, but Joshua said was his assistant. He'd been his right-hand man. He held up the arms of Moses through all the wilderness wanderings. He, would, he, along with Caleb, were one of the two that was not fearful like the other ten spies. And they were the ones, when they came to Kadesh Barnea, and they went into the land of Canaan to spot out, and they saw the giants. And the ten spies came back and said, we can't do it. They said, we can do it. They said, we are well able to overcome. Let us go up at once. God is on our side. Well, Joshua would have been about 40 years old at that time. And you might think because God punished them and they didn't get to go into the land and they wandered in it for another 38 years now for a total of 40 years, which makes him about about 80 years old, that he might be discouraged. But he wasn't really discouraged. Be strong and of good courage. And to go do God is on your side. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. And off he went to be able to conquer the land king. And then Caleb, oh my, what an incredible person. You know, the Bible says in uh, Numbers that Caleb had a different spirit. And that God was with him because he had a different kind of a spirit. He was, again, along with Joshua, one of the two that didn't give in to the negativism of the other two. Promise of a particular part of the promised land that he could have. And so when he went into the land and he began to conquer the land, and in Joshua chapter 14, I want you to listen to the words of this man. He's now 85 years old. And I'm reading from Joshua 14, beginning in verse 7. Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to smile the land and brought back the word to him, as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden, you shall inherit your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. And I'm as strong this day as in the day that Moses sent me, for my strength was then, so is my strength now for war and for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, 
which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakin were there and they were strong and the cities were great and fortified, that it may be the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Man, don't you love that? This 85-year-old man said, give me this mountain. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to drive out the enemies. God is with me. Thank God he's kept me alive and he's kept his promise. I'm ready to go. And I'm just as strong now as I was 40 years ago. You know, I wonder if there's a little bit of hyperbole in that. (laughs) You know, but nevertheless, that's what he said. And that's the way he felt. What a, what a great example. And then another one in the Bible is Daniel. Now, we're familiar with Daniel serving God in his youth and how in Daniel 1, when he was taken with the other captives and he didn't eat the, the, the food of the king and had a different diet so it didn't violate evidently Jewish law. But we tell these great stories, narratives about Daniel from the book of Daniel, and Daniel in the lion's den is certainly one of them. All the children know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You could probably come up and tell it better than I could. But a lot of times, and I don't know, that's not always true, but sometimes you see the pictures in the Bible class of Daniel being a little boy. Now, Daniel wasn't a little boy by then, because Babylon had fallen and you have the Medes and the Persians that have taken over when he's thrown into the, into the lion's den. And so here, Daniel probably would be maybe somewhere around 80 years old when he was thrown into the lion's den. He prospered during the days of these Persian kings. And we know the story and how that he was thrown into the lion's den because he prayed to God when it was his decree not to pray to God. But it says in Daniel that he continued to pray even as his custom was. The decree had been signed. You can't pray any anyone except to the king. And it says in verse 10 of Daniel 6, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, and with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. You know, as an older man of God, Daniel might could have rationalized that. He might could say, I wonder how many times I've prayed all these years. Hundreds of times. Three times a day, every day, all of his life. What's it going to hurt to not pray for 30 days? It's not going to hurt anything. I can't... Or, or he might have done this. It says he opened his window towards Jerusalem. Suppose Daniel said, well, I'm still going to pray, but I'm going I'm to go back there where they can't see me. I'm going to get in my closet and pray. You know, Jesus later said, get in your closet and pray. So maybe Daniel has this notion. But that wasn't his custom. And everybody knew what his custom was. And his custom was to open his windows and to look toward Jerusalem. And he did what he had always done. And he didn't make any difference to the consequences. You know, sadly, sometimes, and I know some of you have seen it, of older people that for some reason, and it's hard to understand, they've served the Lord all of their lives. And then something happens in their old age that causes them to compromise. I've seen it happen sometimes to gospel preachers, sometimes to elders, sometimes to other men and women that you think are solid as a rock spiritually, and then something comes along, maybe something morally or doctrinally or whatever it is. And they go off into left field and they leave the Lord. It's so sad. But not Daniel. Daniel, as his custom was, continued to pray. What a great example. Well, God can use older people today. And we, we see this not only in the spiritual realm, but in the secular world as well. I read that Tennyson wrote Crossing at the Bar when he was 80. George Bernard Shaw's finest works were in his 80s. Cato began studying Greek at 80. Winston Churchill was Prime Minister of England during World War II and in office at age 77. In our lifetime here in the United States, we have had presidents in their 70s, Reagan and Trump and, and Biden. And then there's Anna Marie Robinson Moses, known as Grandma Moses, who didn't start painting in earnest 
until she was 78 years old and lived to be 101. Her works are displayed and marketed all over the world, earning millions. And then I think of Queen Elizabeth that just passed away, that the longest ruling monarch in Britain in history for 70 years. And you think at age 96, and she was fulfilling her royal duties right up until the day that she died. And then I think of the people of God. Melvin Curry was one of my professors at Florida College. When we settled down from our three years of nomadic travel in some places and started uh, looking over where we might settle down, Melvin was preaching at the West Citrus Church in uh, Crystal River, Florida. And our son and his wife and family attend there, and so we visited some, and uh, Melvin was still preaching. He was slowing down some, almost 90 years old, and went through some health problems and uh, sort of stepped back from it for a little while. Then, lo and behold, I hear he's preaching again, and he's over 90. Of course, Steve Bowman preached well up into his 80s. I remember just a few years ago hearing Ed Harrell, who also, of course, is no longer with us, speak at the Florida College Lectures. He was 88 years old. Some of you might have been there and heard it. I didn't look at my watch, but I realized later he spoke for an hour at 88 years old. Paul Earnhardt in Louisville just, what, in the last year or two, celebrated his 90th birthday? In fact, you've had him on this legacy program, haven't you? Still preaching. As best I've been able to ascertain, Ward Hoagland in Boonville, Mississippi, still preaching. He's, what, 96? Something like that. Homer Haley wrote a lot of his commentaries when he was in his 90s. Bob Owen is 93, and I was talking to a mutual friend the other day, and they said that they were planning another trip to Scotland that Bob was wanting to take. And he's been over there a number of times in his late 80s and probably over 90. Harry Payne Sr. was preaching well into his 90s. I've known any number of elders that had very sharp mental acuity and into their 70s and into their 80s was still able to shepherd. And I think of the older preachers, Ricky, I'm sure, just like me, that you've had older preachers that have been an inspiration to you. And you think, man, I, I want to be able to keep on like that. I can remember growing up in Indiana when I was just a little boy. And that my dad took me to hear Max Dawson preach. <laughs> and to see him still preaching, that how inspiring that is. He doesn't look 90, does he? It's just so inspiring to see older brethren like that that have encouraged us and lift us up in so many ways. God can use older people today. You may retire from your job, profession, and occupation, but you don't need to be retiring from the Lord. God can use you in some form or fashion. And so let's think for a few minutes about how God can use older people. First of all, I suggest that God can use older women to teach the younger women. Paul, when he wrote to Titus, said older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled or blasphemed. Now, I certainly don't want to define who the older women are in the room tonight. I wouldn't, I'll leave that to Ricky or Jordan or somebody else to decide who they may be. Or maybe we should all just leave it to the women to decide who they are. But I think we realize that as women raise their families, they've been married a lot of years, their children are faithful, they have grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. You ladies have so much to offer. And you have so much to offer, and it doesn't have to be a public ladies' class. It just might be private encouragement you can give to a young, struggling mother. Someone that's not sure what direction to go as they're raising their children and can provide some counsel and some help. You know, it says here to teach them to love their husbands. You know, in one way, that seems a little bit strange. And yet sometimes that needs to be taught because we live in a world today where there's so much diversion to try to lead women away from loving their husbands and to look other places, and to be reminded what the Bible says about that. To love their children, to be good wives, and to do the work that God has assigned to them. 
Older women can still bear fruit in old age. Not only that, we can use older people to some degree as Bible class teachers. I remember a number of years ago when I was preaching in Palmetto, Florida, and we had trouble finding Bible class teachers. And this is a whole other lesson that sometimes when I'm dealing with this, I talk about it. But part of the reason was that the women had learned there was only two ways that you could get out of teaching a kid's class. One is either die or the other is get pregnant. And um, these older women weren't quite ready to die yet, and they sure weren't going to get pregnant. And so they weren't volunteering to teach any classes. And so we set up a system where we rotated teachers every quarter. And we went back to some of these older women that were wonderful teachers and said, would you volunteer once a year to help some of these young teachers and mentor them? And I remember one older sister, she said, well, she had arthritis in her hands and she couldn't do the cutouts and some of the things. I said, oh no, the younger teacher will do that. We just want you in there to mentor this younger teacher in team teaching and to help her and to be this influence to the kids. And you know, these older women came back and they started involving themselves in team teaching and working with the younger women and mentoring them and training them. And it was wonderful. And it was wonderful to see the response of the children toward these older grandmother type women. We can use older women as well as older men to be able to serve in teaching. Senior saints can also serve. And there's so many different ways that we can be able to minister and serve. One might be through benevolence. Older people often have more compassion and wisdom in dealing with benevolence. And in many cases, there's, uh, they have financial resources that maybe they didn't have in their earlier years. In Galatians 6 and verse 10, it says, We therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so here you take an older couple, and God has blessed them. They've done well through the years. They're, they're financially secure. And now they're in a situation where needs come along, where people need some financial help that they can help. And I, I've just known through the years and places I've preached of older people that are not public people. They're not up front. They're not, they're not preachers or they're not elders or deacons or maybe public Bible class teachers. But I've known people to go up to someone that had a need, and give them a $100 handshake, or slip a few 20s into their pocket, or go by and take them something maybe that they, that they needed, because they had the opportunity and they had the ability to be able to serve and to be benevolent. You know, Max talked to us last night about the proper use of money. And I really loved what he said from the standpoint, because sometimes us preachers could get carried away and start condemning riches which, you know, I've never quite figured out why preachers want to do that because we condemn riches and then we pass the plate. And we, uh, we don't want, you know, notes in there that say best wishes, right? You know, you want money. It takes money to be able to operate and to be able to do the Lord's work. So, so wealth is not wrong. Prospering is not wrong. But as Max talked about last night, it's using that wealth and it's using that prosperity to do good and to serve others and to make a difference and to be benevolent. Another way that senior saints can serve is through hospitality. Now, I understand this, and my wife and I are experiencing this to some degree, that you have limitations, maybe a little bit, on the amount that you can entertain. I, I remember it had been that many years ago, and Aaron Thompson can remember when, uh, when we lived in Tampa, we had the college kids all, in all the time, and we would have 50 or 60 or 70 kids in at a time, and it was, it was wonderful. Well, we're not having 50 or 60 in at a time anymore. But you know, you can still do something. And I've, we have been the recipients of some wonderful hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says we're to be given to hospitality. And when I checked that again, I didn't see an age limit there. And so again, you may have opportunities to, to be a wonderful host or hostess. And, and I found that when I've been in the homes of older brethren, that they have such a wealth of experiences to share and so much to offer. And they're still bearing fruit in old age and serving that way. And then through the idea of edification, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says that we are to edify one another. Older people should know by this time, if they've been serving the Lord faithfully throughout their lives, 
how to build up and how to edify and how to encourage and, and when people need a word of encouragement. And I've known any number of older people that, again, they weren't public people. They weren't in the limelight, but they were observant and they could see that someone just needed a pat on the back. They needed a hug. They needed a word of encouragement. They needed someone to give them a little bit of a boost and they can still bear fruit in old age as they seek to edify and to build up. And of course, encouragement goes right along with the idea of edification. Romans 12 and verse eight speaks of the gift of encouragement, of saying the right thing and showing genuine interest in helping other people see their potential as well. I wanna take a moment and talk about senior saints being soul winners. Now that may, may not, again, necessarily be teaching a class, although it may be. And some that through the years have taught and have done personal work classes and personal evangelism. Just because you're retired from your job and maybe you're gonna travel a bit and have a little bit more free time, that doesn't mean you have to retire from being a soul winner. In fact, you shouldn't retire ever from being a soul winner. And you can invite your friends and you can share with them your faith. And maybe now some of you have more time than when you were involved in a busy profession. Max mentioned being at the Central Church in Ocala and Colin Williamson earlier today. Colin was a very good friend of my wife and I's for so many years. And I had, a, had the privilege to speak there. And I remember one time Colin was telling me a story that a group of their senior citizens had formed a little club, and I, I've been trying to remember the name of it now, and it was Golden Something. I don't, I don't think it was Golden Oldies, but it was Golden Something. And they would meet every Thursday in Ocala for breakfast at a restaurant. And it was quite a group of them. They'd just meet them for encouragement and, and to be together and to have fellowship. But they began to realize pretty soon that this, this could be an evangelism opportunity. And Colin began to tell me the number of people that have been converted, older people, as a result of them having this breakfast on Thursday morning. And so they would invite somebody in their retirement village where they lived or trailer park or wherever it happened to be, and they'd come to the breakfast and they'd meet other Christians there, and, and they weren't a part of anything. They weren't a part of a church. They, weren't, they, they were looking for association. And next thing you know, Colin gets a call and says, would you come and teach my friend? and they obeyed the gospel. And it was through older Christians that were just taking the time to show interest in their friends and sharing them the gospel. You, you know, sometimes, and I've seen this with older people that maybe have been real successful and they come to Florida to retire and they, they got a wonderful lifestyle. But you know, after so many days of playing golf and so many days of fishing and so many days of sightseeing, they say, isn't there a little more to this? And maybe they're looking for significance. They've had success, but now they're looking for significance. And sometimes people like that are looking for the Lord. They don't know they are, but they are. And maybe you could be that person to add that important eternal significance to their lives. A number of years ago, when I was preaching in a congregation down there, there was a couple that visited us from Mississippi, and they brought their mother, who lived in a retirement park, a little ways from us. They had become Christians, but his mother wasn't a Christian, and he hadn't grown up in a Christian home, obviously, but had become a Christian later. Well, he was trying to convert his mother, and so he wouldn't know if I would study with her, and I said, sure, I'll be glad to. So her name was Evelyn, and I'd go out and would study with her, and she was very kind, very sweet, and receptive, but it took a number of studies, and we really hadn't got to a point where she was willing to take that step to obey the gospel. And the time came for her to leave um, the summer. You know, if you get any money in Florida, you try to get out of there in the summer if you can. And to leave for the summer, she was going to see her son and travel. And so I wondered what would happen. Well, <clears throat> that fall, as the snowbirds began coming back into Florida, one Sunday morning, there's Evelyn, and she's with a friend, and I really didn't notice it until I got up to preach, and there she said she had come back, and I was so excited to see her back. Well, when the invitation song was sung, Evelyn came forward with her friend and came forward, and I sat down by Evelyn. I, you know, you, you all ever wonder what preachers say when someone comes forward and whisper in your ear? 
you, have you ever told him what you say? I'm going to tell him. It's really profound. I say, why have you come forward? <laughs> yeah. You never know. You never know why, what's in someone's mind. So I said to Evelyn, why have you come forward? She said, well, she said, I wanted to come with my friend, and she wants to obey the gospel. And I said, well, what about you, Evelyn? She said, oh, I was baptized at my son's this summer. She had come back, only been back a week, and her, her friend there in the retirement village, of course, her friend was saying, what's going on? And Evelyn couldn't wait to tell her. She said, I've become a Christian. And her friend wondered what that was all about. She began to tell her about it and what she had done. And she was back and she was going to church. And why don't you come with me? And she had told her enough about being a Christian and hearing a sermon for the first time that that lady came forward and Evelyn came with her to support her and she was baptized into Christ. Isn't that incredible? Older people can still bear fruit in their old age. They can be soul winners for Christ. Well, what do we need to do that? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at this text a little bit more in the morning, but I want to look at it from a different angle tonight for a few minutes. In Philippians chapter 3, you know the backdrop of Philippians? Everybody knows the backdrop of Philippians? The, the Paul now is an aged man, although <clears throat> younger than I am right now, probably. Probably in his 60s, more than likely. But he's an aged man. He's made the three missionary tours, the voyage to Rome. He's in a Roman prison. Of course, prisons then were not, they are now, wasn't a country club. Could have been a cave or a pit, a hole in the ground or something like that. Wasn't a very pleasant thing. And he's incarcerated and chained between, uh, between Roman guards. And he writes the book of Philippians. And one of the unique things I love about Philippians is it's a book of joy. Eighteen times in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about his joy of faith and his joy that is in the Lord. And so in Philippians 3 and verse 12, he said, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, in this text, we learn what it is that we need to do to be able to bear fruit. And here it is. Number one, number one, we need to release the past. And what that means is forgetting past accomplishments. You know, I've thought a number of times that Paul, as I said, he made the three missionary journeys and established churches and ordained elders and written letters, and, and now he's made the voyage to Rome. I mean, you think of his credentials. You know, Paul could be sitting back thinking, oh, I'm the great apostle Paul, and thinking about all the good things that he had done, his past accomplishments, his past spiritual successes. But Paul wasn't doing that. He wasn't thinking about the glory days. Max, Max shared some songs with you last night. I was thinking today, when I was thinking about this point, about the uh, song by Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days. You remember that song years ago? And just a, a few lyrics from it, it goes, I had a friend who was a big baseball player back in high school. He could throw a speedball by you, make you look like a fool, boy. Saw him the other night in this roadside bar. He was walking in, I was walking in, and he was walking out. We went back inside and sat down and had a few drinks, but all he kept talking about was glory days. Glory days, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of an eye. Glory days, glory days. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we need to be careful of sitting back and worrying about the glory days. To relive and to relish the past, we need to release the past, forget past accomplishments. 
But then another thing is forget past mistakes. And a problem of regret is the problem with so many people that I wish I hadn't done that or I wish I would have done that. And we can regret And Paul could have played that game. Paul could have done that in old age. Paul in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 13 talked about being a blasphemer. And he talked about being the chief of sinners. But he said he did it ignorantly and unbelief and he obtained mercy. And what Paul understood was that God forgives and God forgets. And he said, I am what I am by the grace of God when he wrote to the Corinthian brethren. In Psalm 103 and verse 12, the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far removed our transgressions are from us. And then the prophet Micah said in 7 and 19, he will have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities and he will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So I don't know where you are tonight and what you're thinking, we have some legacy folks here with us tonight. And it may be that as you sit here and you think about your life and you think about past mistakes that it bothers you and you live in regret. And sometimes the devil creeps in our thinking a little bit and the devil reminds you of your past. Well, next time the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind the devil of his future. All right? Don't worry about the past. And then another thing is we get past slights. But brethren, Paul could have fumed and fussed about how some brethren treated him and criticized him and sought to undermine his work and how at one point he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 that all men have forsaken me. But he said, I pray that it's not laid to their charge. He was able to release the past and not waste time over real or imagined hearts. I have known sadly through the years of older brethren, sometimes I had a grudge against another brother in the congregation. And they couldn't let go of that grudge. And it, they held on to it for years and years and years. Don't do that. I'm telling you tonight, brother or sister, if you've got a grievance with someone, let it go. Go to them, talk to them about it, see if you can solve it. But if they won't let it go, let go and let God. Give it over to Him release the past. If we're going to bear fruit, then we're going to need to accept the present. Paul said in this text, I press on. I'm not perfected, but I'm pressing. He said, I'm reaching forward to the things which are ahead. And I love that word there. And it's a great big long Greek word I won't even try to pronounce. But it was a word that was used in the first century in athletics, and it was used of the Olympic runners, the marathon runners. It's a very rich word, and it's a word that pictures, and if you've ever watched a, or any race, even a marathon day, let alone a 100-meter race, what happens is they come around the final turn, and they head down the straightaway, and they're running toward the tape. And you see these runners, and their legs are stretched out, their arms are pumping the air, and they come to the tape, and their bodies are angled forward. As we would say, they're running flat out for the finish line. That's the word that he uses there, reaching forward or straining forward. Spiritually speaking, Paul says, I'm running flat out for the finish line. And that's what we need to be doing all of our lives, even in our older age. Oh, not physically. <laughs> you know, once, once the while someone asks, say, do you still get out and play ball? <laughs> By the way, I know I'm in Texas. In Indiana, play ball means basketball. Okay, that's ball, okay, right? Okay, well, I get out and shoot around every once in a while. My son still thinks, you know, that I can, uh, you might can get a credit card under my shoes when I jump, you know, but uh, I, can, I, can, I can shoot a little bit. Uh, I can't run flat out for the finish. I ran track and cross country in high school. Uh, I'm doing good to walk fast now, all right? But spiritually, I can run flat out for the finish. Spiritually, I can have my body angled forward toward the finish line. And we're going to talk about that more in the morning. And so we need to accept the present. Here's a verse that Max camped on last night. We'll just mention in passing from Ecclesiastes. Say not why were the former days better than these, for it is not from wisdom that you ask that. If we're to be productive in old age and to bear fruit, 
you know, we can't, we can't be worrying about the former days. We have to live in the present. And to realize that there are some things that have changed, that some things are opinion, they're not doctrine. To realize that the King James Version is not the only inspired version. I think by now most brethren have figured that out. That some of our old songs that we like have archaic words in them. You know, we have been slow many places to, to change. Uh, but if we'd never changed at all, well, we wouldn't be using the PowerPoint tonight. We'd still be using a blackboard. Or bed sheet charts that I can remember old-time preachers using. So we've changed a little bit and embraced some technology. And I understand we're live streaming tonight. Is that right? Are we live streaming? And so let me welcome the thousands of people that are watching me tonight. Oh, hundreds of thousands? I don't know. Well, however many it is, we're glad to have you watching and listening in. And I hope our, hope our lesson is helpful. So we've embraced technology. And I think for the most part, the senior saints are pretty accommodating to the younger generation. So I might say something to the younger generation. Be accommodating to them. Okay? Realize where they're coming from. That they grew, and Max talked a lot about this last night, of how much things have changed in culture in the past 50 to 100 years. And so be patient and be accommodating. You know, when I see someone poking down the road, driving slow in the fast lane, I try to be patient. I think that could be my mother. That could be my grandmother. And so be, be accommodating and be patient and be kind. And then we need to focus on the future. Paul said, I press toward the goal. Don't let up. Don't give up. Don't back up. Don't ease up, but keep on keeping on. There's nothing wrong with retirement. There's nothing wrong with leisure time. There's nothing wrong with travel. But you still have responsibilities to the Lord. Paul here in this text, I think, mentions three things that are important about pressing on to the future. One, as I mentioned, is the goal. The other is the goal of personal growth. You say, personal growth? Well, I get that out of this text. I, I'm not there yet. I'm still learning. I haven't apprehended yet. I'm not perfected yet. I'm still growing. You know, anytime I read that, I cannot help but think, when I was a student at Florida College, just a few short years ago, Homer Haley was one of my Bible professors. And I thought he was a really old man then. He was actually about 10 years younger than I am now <laughs> at that time. But Brother Haley, and by the way, this does go back to the day of blackboards. We had blackboards in our classrooms. Brother Haley could take an entire class, never crack his Bible, write the Bible references on the blackboard, fill it up, erase it, and start over again and quote every one of them. Brother Haley said one time, boys, he said, I'm still a student. I'm still learning. I've never forgotten that. And I've often thought, if Homer Haley could say that with the kind of Bible knowledge and insight that he had, it could say, I'm still a student, I'm still learning. What about Ken Welliver? What about you? We're going to continue to learn and be students, personal growth, keep on studying, learning, growing, being a little better. And then being a positive influence, being an example, being an example in our marriages. My wife and I just celebrated our 54th wedding anniversary, and it seems like once we especially hit 50, that everybody just marvels. When we had our 50th, we were blessed to be able to take a Mediterranean cruise, and if you've done cruises, you know that every night you sit at a table with other people, and so you get to know a lot of people, and we were on this cruise for two weeks. And, and, and so just amazing, that when people, we introduce ourselves to each other, say, we're on here anniversary, how many years? 50. 50? To the same woman? Yeah. The world just finds that incredible. And so we have an opportunity to be a great example of positive influences in our marriages, to be a positive influence as we, as we come to worship. I can't tell you through the years a number of older people that I've known that they never broadcasted, but if you talk to them, they come and they were in pain. Arthritis, their bones ached, whatever. But they would come. They didn't feel like maybe they had a lot to offer, but they were there. But I, I, I know my mom one time when 
she was not feeling well in the last three or four years of her life. And she talked about getting ready and going to church. And I said, Mom, do you think you feel like it? She said, no, I don't feel like it. She said, but I can feel bad at church just as easy. I can feel bad at home. Don't you love that? What an influence for good. What, what a positive example to other people. Maybe just your attendance does that. Or demonstrating wisdom or having a good attitude. Can I, can I say this? I know this is a legacy weekend. And you guys over have a long way to go before you qualify for one. But you know, the kind of things I've talked about tonight, those things don't just happen when you get to be 50 or 60 or 70 or 80. Because I've known some older people that didn't embody the kind of things I'm talking about tonight. And you know why they didn't embody those positive qualities and spiritual characteristics? You know why? Because they neglected them at your age. They didn't remember God as their creator in the days of their youth. And so you see someone that's an old person that's bitter and critical and cynical and sarcastic and sour. I guarantee if you knew that person when they were young, they were probably a young, bitter, critical, sarcastic, and sour young person. And so you start now in your youth to think about developing the kind of things that we're talking about this weekend that you can be an influence for good down the road. Your faith, your hope, your love. Paul said to the Thessalonians, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God. And then finally, your paradise home. Focusing on the future of our paradise home. Some time ago, I came across a story about a fellow by the name of John Walker Vinson. He was a missionary to China in the early 1900s. He became known as Uncle Jack. Well, there, he fell in love with a younger missionary, a young lady by the name of Janice. They had six children. Only three survived into adulthood. But both Jack and Janice experienced severe health problems, and she passed away after giving birth to their last child. Some years later, he said that Jack was on a missionary tour in Shanghai. And he made a trip with some other folks out into a little village about 30 miles away. And there was a bandit army of some 600 men that arrived and they captured the town's inhabitants there as well as Jack. And after learning what had happened, the government forces were dispatched to deal with the crisis. E.H. Hamilton writes about Vincent's life and describes what happened next. The chief bandit, realizing the perilous situation, came up to Mr. Vincent and said to him, do you want to go free? Jack said, certainly. The bandit said, all right, if you will write a letter to the general of the army and give him to withdraw his troops, I will let you go free. Jack said, will you also release all of these Chinese captives that you're holding? And the bandit said, certainly not. Jack said, neither then will I go free. Well, the bandit was livid, filled with rage, made threats. There was a little Chinese girl there that lived to tell about this. And she said that the bandits threatened Vincent put a gun to his head and said to him, are you afraid? No, Jack said, I'm not afraid. The bandit said again, I'm going to kill you. Are you afraid? Once more, Jack said, no, I am not afraid. If you kill me, I'll go right to heaven. He pulled the trigger and killed him. As a result of that, Hamilton wrote this poem. 
Afraid? Of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid? Of that? Afraid? Of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face? To hear His welcome and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace? Afraid? Of that? Afraid? Of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart, darkness, light of heaven's art? A wound of His counterpart? Afraid? Of that? Afraid? Of what? To enter into heaven's rest? and yet to serve the master blessed, from service good to service best? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not? Baptized with blood a stony plot, till souls shall blossom from that spot? Afraid? We have nothing to be afraid of. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Senior saints, we honor you. We love you. We appreciate you. You inspire us. You encourage us. And I call on you tonight to keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't give in and don't give out. Keep on bearing fruit in your old age. We close tonight with a song of invitation and encouragement. I know the heart of no one here tonight. It could be that we have a person of, we might call a senior citizen. It's no real beta gospel, I don't know. I've talked to many through the years, and I've seen many in their older years obey the gospel of Christ. If you're not a Christian tonight, would you be one? Maybe there's a young person here that's heard the gospel preached by Jordan and Ricky many times, and you thought, one day I'll be a Christian. Why not tonight? Maybe there's a mother or father here, a husband or wife, a son or daughter, and you're not a Christian. Why not make your home a Christian home? Do you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, are you one to repent of your sins, confess your allegiance to Him as Lord? and be baptized in the mission of sins and have the blood of Jesus wash away every sin and then you begin that road that we've talked about tonight. That road that you can live and walk the rest of your life that will lead you to the end of your life to one day, unafraid, enter into the joys of your Lord. If you owe a duty to God in any way, we can serve you and minister to you. Would you come as we stand while we sing? Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.